Escape Pod 141 January 17th, 2008 Today's story, The Color of a Brontosaurus, by Polly Martens Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. We have a story for you this week from one of our favorite authors about scientists and how they respond when confronted with the impossible. I think I've said this before. I'm not a scientist, but I'm a scientist groupie. One of the reasons I love science fiction is because so often scientists are the heroes, and there's a sense that rationality, that scientific inquiry and clear thought are what it takes to save the world. I love this idea, because it's so obvious that nothing else will. One of my favorite movies is Apollo 13. It's not science fiction, but it feels like it. The scene that made the movie for me wasn't anything in space. It was Ed Harris giving the engineers the task of fitting a square peg in a round hole, knowing that if they didn't, people would die. The engineers are the heroes of that film. Well, engineers and duct tape. It's a glorious concept, really. And a romantic one, the sort that makes people want to become scientists. Or scientist groupies like me. Of course, to be an effective scientist in the real world takes a lot more. Real science is done by humans who aren't always rational, who have to overcome politics and preconceived notions, and who have to strike a balance between the passion to keep going and the dispassion to see the evidence for what it is, not what they want it to be. Every scientist I know, including my wife, says it's rarely glamorous, It's 99% drudgery and repetition and bureaucracy. But you live for the moments when it is glamorous, for those aha moments when you're the very first person in the world to know something. As long as we have people who crave that sensation, we'll have scientists. And science fiction. And that brings us to today's story. We present The Color of a Brontosaurus by Paul E. Martens. Mr. Martens has appeared several times on Escape Pod and Pseudopod, His story, Connie Maybe, is still an Escape Pod favorite. He lives in New York State and was the 1999 first place winner of the Writers of the Future contest. This story first appeared in issue 29 of the best-named SF magazine ever, Andromeda Spaceways In-Flight Magazine. So, submitted for peer review, it's story time. The Color of a Brontosaurus by Paul E. Martens There's no question about it. Stu Gehrig knew his voice was too loud, but his news was so big it took an extra effort to make it fit into the phone. The fluorine dating says they're the same age. Oh. Apparently, Stu's excitement wasn't something his wife could catch over the telephone. You don't understand. If the human femur has been in the ground as long as the Allosaurus bone, it means the human must have been a time traveler. He paused to give her a chance to insert a new and improved O. And if it is a time traveler, he continued, when she didn't avail herself of the opportunity, it means that time travel is possible, and if I can find a time traveler, there's a chance I can hitch a ride and see dinosaurs for myself. Imagine, was Aranosaurus a sailback or a humpback? What noise did a Parasaurolophus make? What color was a Brontosaurus? God, it makes me want to run out and grab people and ask them when they're from. Still. Marcy showed she could pack as much inflection into a word as anyone. Don't go totally nuts about this until you're really sure. I know you're excited, honey, but take it easy, okay? 
Don't do anything that might ruin your career. Don't worry. Have you ever known me to go off the deep end before? Avoiding the question, Marcy asked, What do Renee and Joel think? Oh, shit. I was supposed to meet them in the lab ten minutes ago. But I wanted to tell you first. I've got to go. Love you. There was only one light on in the lab, directly above a table on which rested a large square of sandstone. Bones were still set in the rock. Two people stood on opposite sides of the block, the light bathing their faces, chests, and hands in the glow, leaving their backs in shadow. If it's a hundred fifty million years old, it can't be human, Renee Lynn was saying. But it's human. She sounded like she was saying two plus two equals a green plastic fish. The facts didn't add up to a logical answer. Reflections from the gold ring in her eyebrow danced as she shook her purplish hair. In the dark, her black clothes made it seem as though she had only hands and a head. Joel Besser pointed his goatee and his thick black-framed glasses at her and spoke from his mountaintop. It's obviously a hoax. His tone brooked no argument unless you knew how often his pronouncements were wrong. How? asked Renee. How did someone plant a human bone with an allosaurus in solid rock without leaving a trace? Joel tabled a direct answer to her question with a wave of his hand. There's no other explanation possible. I, for one, will not be known as the victim of another Piltdown debacle. Stu cleared his throat, but before he could offer his alternative, Renee said, Creationism. What? Joel choked on his coffee. Come up with something else, then. Those people claim that if dinosaurs existed at all, they were around at the same time as humans. What if they're right? Here's the evidence. How else can we interpret it? Joel spluttered, Nonsense! Unscientific, superstitious balderdash! Stu said, I don't think we should go public with that idea yet, Renee. Do you? It occurred to him that they might not be entirely receptive to his idea either. Well, no, I wasn't saying anything about going public about anything. I just think we should consider it, that's all. Don't we have to test any reasonable hypothesis? Reasonable? You call that reasonable? It's preposterous! Joel had more to say, but Renee was looking at Stu. He nodded. Yes, we do. And we have to consider that it might be a hoax, too. And any other theories we come up with. Maybe he was wrong. Maybe time travel wasn't the only possibility. Whoever he was, there he is. All we have to do is figure out how and why he came to be there. They contemplated the fossil. Finally, Joel said, All right, we're not going to find any answers just standing here staring. Um, Renee, I don't suppose... Yes, Joel, I've got more coffee in my office. Yemen mocha. You can grind the beans. Coming, Stu? In a minute. Stu couldn't take his eyes off the femur. You're a scientist, he told himself. An imagination is a useful tool, but facts are what count. Measurements. But they'd done the measurements. There came a time when you had to decide what the measurements meant. You had to reach a conclusion. There was no doubt that the femur was that of a modern human. Not a proto-human, or some previously unknown dinosaur. Joel and Rene had arrived at the same answer. It was demonstrable, provable. When they finally did release news of the discovery, people might argue about it, but they'd be unable to refute it. But how did they answer the next question? How did the bone come to be embedded in solid rock millions and millions of years before such a bone could have existed? It had to be a time traveler. There was no other answer. It had to be a time traveler. There was no other answer. 
Or was that just what he wanted to believe? He stared at the fossil, feeling a sense of displacement, like one of those near-death experiences where someone looks down on his or her own body. Only he was looking at just a piece of himself. Where was the rest of him? How had it happened? Coffee's ready. Renee's voice made him jump. On my way. He shook his head to clear it, ashamed at himself for getting carried away. It wasn't him. How could it be? It probably wasn't a time traveler at all. It wasn't possible. Was it? Maybe it's a hominid, not human at all. Joel wanted it to be anything but human. No, it's human. Besides, how would that be any better? There's still a hundred thirty million years between the allosaurs and the earliest hominid, Stu said. What about the radiocarbon dating? Renee asked. Stu shook his head. It's too old. The results are meaningless. And the uranium-lead dating just confirms the stratigraphical evidence. It's a hoax, Joel said for the millionth time. How? Renee and Stu said together, with just the same tone of frustrated annoyance. After a moment, Renee hesitated, then said, All right, so man existed at the same time as the dinosaurs. She looked at the others, her jaw set. Right? No, said Stu. It's the bone of a fully evolved human. It's not merely homologous, it's human. We'd have to ignore everything we think we know about evolution, pretend that Homo sapiens regressed to Homo habilis and then back again. That can't be true. Unless evolution isn't true, Renee said, more to herself than Stu and Joel. Stu bit his lip, then said, It has to be a time traveler. The others exchanged raised eyebrows before turning on Stu. Not amusing, said Joel. Yeah, can we be scientific about this, please? Let's stick to reality. I'd like to at least have a chance of getting grants in the future. Or maybe you can ask your time traveler if I'll get any grants and save me from worrying about them. While you're at it, ask him when I'll meet the man of my dreams. Really, Stu, said Joel. I think we should concentrate on figuring out how the bone was planted there. Who could have done it? And why? It's not a hoax, Joel. Renee said. Stop being so paranoid. Why can't you accept my explanation? I've checked, and some creation scientists have pretty decent credentials. Creation and scientists do not belong in the same sentence, let alone in a description of one person. I will not give credence to fanatics pushing some sort of religious agenda, no matter how plausible they may appear to susceptible minds. Eyes narrowed. Renee asked, Are you talking about me? Stu left. Obviously, they didn't take his idea seriously enough to even argue with him. Were they so lacking in vision and romance? Or was he suffering from too much? To see a carnivore try to make a meal of an armored herbivore, a mother tending a nest of dinosaur hatchlings, those were the kinds of images that drew him to paleontology in the first place. If he had a chance to transport himself back in time, to put to rest the controversies, answer all the unanswerable questions, would he take it? Even if it meant being imprisoned in rock for a hundred and fifty million years? How, though? He seemed to remember reading that some sort of time travel might be possible, in theory, anyway. Something about tachyons or wormholes or something. He didn't have the physics background to invent time travel himself, eliminating at least one science fiction cliché at least. So someone else did, or would. All he had to do was find a time traveler and ask for a lift. Maybe an ad in the paper. Wanted. Time traveler for scientific expedition. 
Respond to Box 555, CO this newspaper. No. He would have to figure out a time and place a time traveler would want to go, get then and there, and try to figure out who was from the future. No problem. After the fact. The crucifixion, the sacking of Rome, the Lincoln or Kennedy assassinations. Obvious choices. But how do you know beforehand? Stu's favorite dinner, baby back ribs, coleslaw, and potato salad, sat practically untouched in front of him. Just think of it, Morse. The sights, the sounds, the smells, roars and screams, the buzzing of giant insects, footsteps that shake the earth, trees crashing as they're crushed or shouldered aside by passing monsters. I want to go back, Marcy. I have to go back. Marcy didn't say anything. Some part of Stu's mind recognized that her blonde hair was newly permed. Some part of him knew he'd ignored the offer implicit in the kiss with which she greeted him, but his enthusiasm had swept him past such considerations. Stu, she said finally, as if calling him home. Honey, you don't know that you can go back. Even if it is the bone of a time traveler, how do you know there are others? There would have to be others. It isn't logical that this guy would be the only one. He shook his head. No, they must be around somewhere. The trick is how to find them. I thought of things like sports playoffs and movie premieres and news conferences, but those things are all taped anyway. It's not those kinds of things time travelers would want to see. It's the surprises, the spontaneous banana peels of history they would want to witness. And, by definition, there's no way to know about those things in advance. He reached for his glass of water, as he said, almost to himself, Unless you make your own. What do you mean? Like, go and assassinate somebody? Marcy sounded as if she could almost believe he might. No, of course not. Although somebody like... No, no, I would never hurt anyone. You know that, don't you? I wouldn't even risk it by burning the Reichstag or blowing up Parliament or something. He looked at her face. Really? Stu, it really was amazing how many different meanings she could make that one syllable have. I know how much this means to you. But remember Aaron Witten... Stu turned red. That was a long time ago. I was just a kid. I know, and it doesn't make me love you any less. But the fact that you would suggest a source that didn't exist, knowing that she would get caught just so you could take her place on a field trip, does suggest you can go too far. It was a Robert Baker dig, he mumbled. I just want you to think about it before you do something you might wish you hadn't. I will. I just wish I knew what I can do. It's as if I'm standing still and the dinosaurs are all rushing away from me. She smiled at him. You know, even though I worry about you, your passion for dinosaurs is part of why I fell for you. When you came into my class lugging about a ton of fossils and then managed to get a room full of nine-year-olds excited and quiet at the same time, when I saw the look on your face, I knew I was going to marry you. You'll figure out something. I believe in you. Marcy was on the phone when Stu dragged himself, two cameras, and a camcorder into the house. Never mind, Renee, he's here. She hung up and ran to Stu to hug him. Where have you been? I woke up and you were gone and I had no idea where you were. I kept calling the museum and no one there knew where you were either. Why didn't you call? Where have you been? He gently disengaged himself and dropped into a chair. I couldn't sleep. I kept thinking that something would happen somewhere, and I wouldn't be there to see it, and the time travelers would get away. I've been walking all over, waiting for something, anything, they might want to see. He hung his head in weariness, 
or defeat, or both. Nothing. He looked at her. What am I going to do, Marcy? The idea that there might be even the slightest chance for me to see living dinosaurs is burning in me like a sun, giving off too much light for me to see anything else, too much energy to sit still. Still. I know it's stupid. It's preposterous. It's futile. It's unscientific. But I have to do something. He slumped. I have to face the fact that nothing significant is ever going to happen around here. Hey, when are you going to New York? That's in the next week or two, isn't it? Why don't we go now, tonight? He started to get up, but Marcy wouldn't let him. Stu, calm down. You're not thinking. What are the odds that you'll come upon some momentous event by chance? Has it ever happened before? Why would it happen now just because you wanted to? Come to bed and sleep on it. Maybe you'll come up with something else. He looked at her as if contemplating making a break for it. Finally, he said, All right, I'll try. But what am I going to do, Marcy? He sounded like he was praying. I want to go public. Stu's office had already been crowded before Renee and Joel came in. Books, pictures, and models of dinosaurs sprouted from every surface, including the ceiling. No, absolutely not. Joel closed the discussion, his arms folded over his chest. Go public with what? Renee asked, ignoring Joel. The ring in her eyebrow was gone, and her hair was a very ordinary brown. With what we found, that there was a human bone with the Allosaurus fossil, apparently the same age. No, I refuse to allow it. Joel pointed his goatee at Stu, then Renee, then back at Stu. And what do we say we've concluded from that? Renee's eyes locked with Stu's. We say it's proof that time travel is possible. He stared back at Renee without wavering. An unintelligible noise burst from Joel. Why, Stu? Even if we agreed with you, which we obviously don't, it's asking to be ridiculed. Right, shouted Joel. Because it's the only explanation. And even if they laugh at us, they'll have to at least think about it. Somebody in a lab will say, Hmm, what if it's true? How would it be possible? How would I go about it? And just presenting the possibility could lead to its becoming an actuality. But if it is a time traveler, doesn't that mean time travel gets invented, whether we have a press conference or not? Stu's brow wrinkled as he considered the question. Well, maybe it's... Look, I'm not interested in the philosophy of time travel, just the practicalities. Practicalities? Stu, you're talking about time travel. You might as well talk about the practicalities of taming a hippogriff. And I still don't see what you hope to accomplish. All right. What if time travel gets to be an important technology, and our press conference somehow triggers its development? Wouldn't someone from the future want to be there at the beginning? He looked at the others, trying to will them to get excited. And if we can find a time traveler, then we can go back and see what it was like. No more digging in the dust and the rocks for hints of the past to color our imaginations. To be among the living, breathing, running, climbing, flying, roaring, touchable creatures whose graves we plunder. How can you want to live in a world of fossils when you know there's a door into the world where dinosaurs live? He thought he had them. He thought he could see them remembering why they had gotten into paleontology, what it was like to be excited. For a moment they seemed tempted by the adventure. For a moment, they looked like they were ready to join him on a trip into the past. For a moment. No, Stu. Joel's words were filled with regret. 
that's a fantasy. We have to deal with life as it is, not as we want it to be. We have to worry about our jobs, about grants and donations and our reputations. We just can't risk it. Rene? She turned away from him. No. Her voice broke slightly before she continued with more resolve. No, I think you're wrong. I think there was a flood. I think these fossils prove it. The Book of Job refers to behemoths and leviathans. I think they were dinosaurs. She clenched her jaw. And I've already scheduled a news conference with Dr. Fletcher of the Institute of Biblical Science. He intends to show the fossils to the world as proof of the literal truth of the Bible. You can't be serious, said Stu. Unacceptable, said Joel. Totally unacceptable. He grabbed his head with both hands as if to keep it from exploding. Have you both gone insane? This isn't a museum anymore. It's become a madhouse. He took his hands from his head and made them into fists, which crashed down on Stu's desk. I won't allow either of you to make my entire career a laughingstock. I've got thirty years invested in my reputation, and I won't. I can't let you destroy that. I can't let you destroy me. He glared at them, his eyes wide with horror or rage, or maybe even a touch of the madness he claimed was in them. I won't. The other two stared after him as he left the room. Rene, Stu began. She shook her head. No, Stu, that's the way it is. She started to leave, too. I'm sorry, she said, so quietly he wasn't even sure she was speaking to him. It's over, Stu told Marcy over the phone. What do you mean? What's over? Everything. Joel went nuts and destroyed the fossil. His sigh came over the phone like the breath of a tear. I guess he felt like Renee and I were ganging up on him, trying to ruin him. Like we were both trying to come up with a theory more outlandish than the other for the sole purpose of wrecking everything he stands for. They found him with a hammer, pounding and pounding on it till there was nothing but dust. Oh, Stu, will the museum press charges? I don't know. I doubt it. It doesn't matter. What about Renee? Who cares? She's as crazy as Joel. I think she's going to work for that biblical institute. What are you going to do? I guess I'll just try and forget the whole thing ever happened. I'm sorry, hon. It's my own fault. I got my hopes up so high about the press conference, it hurt more when they came crashing down on me. He snorted. I guess I just wanted to at least be known as the father of time travel, and then maybe someone would send me back in time as a reward or something. It was a stupid idea. He sounded like one of Marcy's third graders trying to convince himself he really didn't want to go to that dumb old birthday party anyway. At least now we can go to New York like you wanted. Oh, Marcy sounded surprised. No. I mean, not this weekend. You're too upset. We'll go some other time. It would probably be good for me. Get my mind off this whole mess for a while. I know how much you were looking forward to it. But you can't just give up. There's got to be something else you can try. The thought of how lucky he was to have found Marcy spread through him like a sip of hot chocolate on a cold dig. Hey, a dig. Maybe there is. It's a long shot, but what about the dig where we found the bone? What if this still somehow leads to the invention of time travel? Finding the bone could turn out to be a turning point in history, a pivotal moment that time travelers would want to be part of. Just think, they wouldn't have to be just passive observers. They could be participants. 
There were people coming and going all over the site. It would have been easy to mingle in and no one would have known. But that's already happened. How would that help? Don't you remember? That dig was like a second honeymoon for us. You took pictures. Of everything and everybody. There's got to be a clue in those pictures. Dig them out. I'll be home in a few minutes. Who's this? Stu held up a picture from the stacks on the table and pointed for Marcy. She leaned over his shoulder and said, That's Joel, Stu. No, no, this guy, here, the one by the bushes. That is a bush. Stu used his magnifying glass to peer at the photograph. Are you sure there isn't somebody trying to hide in there? Stu, you've got to stop. You've been looking at these things for two days. Have you even slept? Look at this mess. Lists of names and addresses, piles of pictures. You've got indexes and cross-references and drawings and maps. And how are we going to afford the phone bill you're running up? I don't know if I should call a doctor or strangle you. With an effort, Stu tore his eyes away from the debris on the kitchen table and looked at her. I don't know what else to do, Marcy. I don't know if I'll find what I'm looking for, but I have to try. I have to. Tears of frustration swam in his eyes, but didn't fall. Marcy's tears weren't so shy. She bit her lip, hugged Stu, and left the room. Stu looked after her a moment. What if he got trapped in the past and never saw her again? What if he was able to return to the present, but somehow changed history so she was never in his life? Could he choose between the past and Marcy? The corner of a photograph caught his eye. Where was that grad student from? What was his name? He reached for the lists and charts. Stu was sitting on top of a brontosaurus. It was green, like grass in spring before it gets mown. They were with other brontosaurs, all devouring vegetation nonstop. He could see more dinosaurs around them, more kinds than he had ever imagined. The air was sharp, as if it hadn't yet been worn out by being filtered through billions of lungs for millions of years. Although he was dwarfed by the giants whose world he shared, he felt like the lord of creation, like Adam in the garden. But where was his Eve? Where was Marcy? Stu, Stu, wake up. Marcy was shaking him gently. Huh? He sat up. Pieces of paper stuck to his face from the piles on the table. I guess I fell asleep. What time is it? You mean, what day is it? She smiled at him. It's Saturday, and I'm leaving to take the train into the city. Stu rubbed his face and blinked. Oh, jeez, is it time to go already? Give me a couple of minutes to shower and get changed. No, it's okay. There isn't time. I'll just go by myself this time. Besides, you're still working. I don't want to interrupt you. Did you find anything? He grimaced. Not even a hint. Maybe it would be good for me to take a break, get a change of scenery, and come back fresh. Oh, honey, I wish I'd known. I would have wakened you earlier. But I've got to get out of here right now if I'm going to get the train. She bent over for a kiss and a hug. I'll see you tonight. Love you. After she'd gone, he surveyed the jumble that covered the table and a good bit of the floor next to it. Junk. Meaningless junk. The pictures told him nothing. As far as he could tell, everyone at the site had been accounted for. No one looked suspicious or seemed to pay undue attention to the spot where they found the bones. He could be sure of that, at least, because there was a whole stack of pictures of the area just before they'd known something was there. For about the thousandth time, he picked up a shot of him with a eureka look on his face. There were people working, a couple leaning on shovels and talking, but not one person was looking his way, not so much as a surreptitious peek. 
He closed his eyes and saw all the dinosaurs that ever were stampeding away from him, getting smaller and smaller, the thunder of their passage getting fainter. He couldn't let them go. There had to be a way. He was just too stupid to see it. He grit his teeth and picked up the list of names and phone numbers. He was sitting on the couch in the living room when she got home that night. The muted television provided the only light in the room, flickering over him like a kaleidoscope. He'd been staring at the set without really seeing it, and his eyes were still unfocused when he turned to face her. Marcy started slightly when she saw him, like a grounded teenager caught coming home after sneaking out of her room. Hi, honey. Taking a break? She started toward him, but stopped. It's you, isn't it? His voice was like that of a ghost confronting his murderer, haunted, accusing, without hope. What? Her laugh sounded forced. Of course it's me. Who were you expecting? He shook his head. You know what I mean. She studied him, as if searching for a cue to tell her what she should say. I saw the news tonight, he said. What a lucky break that you decided to go to New York without me today. Or maybe you weren't anywhere near the crowd in Central Park. Her eyes filled with tears. Tell me, do the people of the future ever find out exactly what that guy said that was so moving? Or I guess that's what your job was, huh? Did you record it? Never mind, I'm probably not allowed to know. He clenched his teeth, trying to keep his pain in until it burst from him in an anguished, Why? Because I love you. Her tears were falling now. I didn't plan to fall in love with you. She paused for a breath. We can't pick a time to arrive right to the minute. I was several months early, so I had to get a job, make a living, using credentials prepared for me, just in case. I was just trying to get by until it was time to find out what I needed to and go home. I wasn't supposed to fall in love. I certainly wasn't supposed to get married. When I did, I figured I would just get the information and send it ahead without me, so I could stay here with you. I was willing to give up my life and my own time for you. Then you found that bone and started going crazy about time travelers, and I didn't know what to do. She took a step toward him. Stu, I'm sorry. Sorry, he said, as if he'd never heard the word before. For what? For laughing behind my back while you watch me stumble around, desperately searching for a time traveler who was right here the whole time? For being able to give me what I want most in the world and not even giving me a hint that what I wanted was even possible? No problem. In fact, I'll forgive you in advance if you want to open my chest and take a bite out of my heart. You don't understand. Then tell me. Make me understand. How could you do this to me, Mars? She sat in a chair across the room from him. Okay, you're right. I am from the future. I came to record that speech that caused such a stir today. It turns out that there were some important people in the crowd that heard it. Eventually, Stephen Hardesty's words lead to real worldwide cooperation, what we think of as a golden age. But there was never a definitive record of exactly what he said in that first speech. It's one of those pivotal moments you were talking about. That was my mission. Does that mean you'll be leaving now? He said, as if it had already happened. She made fists which she didn't use. I don't know. I should. It's not cheap to send someone through time. I have an obligation to the people of my present. She looked at him. But I don't want to leave you. He snorted. She got angry. 
Go ahead and laugh. I guess it is pretty funny that I don't want to leave you when you were so anxious to leave me. How do you think it made me feel to have you spend every waking moment trying to figure out how to get a hundred million years away from me? His mouth opened. Oh, that's different, isn't it? Why? Why is it all right for you to want to leave me? After a minute, he shrugged and said softly, It is different. He looked at her as if she were the only thing in the world. I love you more than any person I've ever known. I didn't even know it was possible to love anyone like I love you. If I lost you, I would be in pain for the rest of my life. But I would still live. But what kind of life would I have if I knew I had a chance to go back in time and lost it? How could I go on looking at the dry bones of long-dead creatures, knowing that their living flesh was almost in my reach? If I'd never seen that damned bone, I could have gone on with the way things were. I could have been happy just to be with you. Not anymore. I have to go back. You can give me my heart's desire. You have to let me go. I can't. The words came from her as if it hurt her physically to say them. The device is calibrated to the chemistry of one person. That way it can't be stolen or used accidentally. It can send non-living materials, so I can send back the recording I made today. But I can't send you. He stared at her as if he'd been shot between the eyes, and his brain knew he was dead before his body was aware of it. I can't go either, actually, she said. My chemistry has changed. What do you mean? Well, remember when you said that you wanted to be the father of time travel? Yeah. What if I told you that might be literally true? What are you... I'm pregnant. You're... what? He was stunned, then confused, then a hundred other emotions, as if someone were flicking through the channels of his brain. Pregnant? He let out a whoop. Marcy! A baby! He jumped up and grabbed her out of her chair in a hug and whirled her until they were both dizzy. Oh, maybe I shouldn't do that sort of thing. I love you. I love you, too. He stood still. Wait, you said that I'm going to be the father of time travel. She shook her head, smiling. I said you might be. Wow, imagine. My son is going to invent time travel. Or daughter. And maybe. He did a double take. She responded with a Mona Lisa smile. I get it. You're not going to tell me, are you? Nope. So I can't go back in time now, but... Someday? His voice rose, hopefully. Maybe. Maybe. Come on, Mars. Maybe's not good enough. I have to know. Is there still a chance for me? Is the femur mine? Give me something. She wouldn't look at him. He gave her a mock glare. Okay, be that way. I'll just assume it will happen. Someday. He grinned. All right, I can wait. Hey, we're gonna have a baby! Chris Gehrig had an arm around Marcy's black-clad shoulder to comfort her. Are you okay, Mom? Marcy dabbed at her eyes with a tissue and smiled sadly. I'll be all right. We had a good, long time together. How about you? How are you holding up? Chris fought against an attack of tears. I don't know. I feel like I failed him. He wanted so badly to go see his dinosaurs. At the end, I think he was just hanging on because he thought I could do it. But I couldn't. And when I finally had to admit that I just wasn't ready, I think the disappointment killed him. Marcy took Chris by the shoulders and waited until their eyes met. Listen to me. Your father was very, very proud of you. He knew that you'll eventually accomplish what you set out to do. He knew it. 
Your work on time travel led him hope, and there's no better life than one filled with hope. If he had been able to travel back to the Mesozoic, he couldn't have survived anyway. He might have died horribly. She kept eye contact until she felt she'd gotten her message across, then said, Now, you go on and make sure everything is ready for the trip to the cemetery, and give me a few minutes alone with them. When she was by herself with the coffin, she lifted the lid and smiled at what was left of Stu. I'm going to miss you, old man. I'm sorry I couldn't give you your heart's desire while you were alive. I wouldn't have, even if I could. How could I, if it meant living without you? She took a small machine out of her purse and put it in his lifeless hands. She kissed him and touched a switch on the device. Goodbye, my love, she said, closing the lid. Watch out for the Allosaurus. And that was our story. You know, I think this is one of the most compelling arguments against time travel. If it existed, history would be full of practical jokes. Then again, having read history, maybe it is. Once again, we've got two stories to present feedback on this week, and then I think we're caught up. This time it's our two Christmas stories. First up was City Talkers, Mira Lafferty's tale of an urban shaman and a meteorologist working to save the city of Charlotte from itself. This one had a mixed response. Vance spoke for several when he said, Great story. Near the middle, before the hostage situation, I was afraid it would devolve into a horror flick. But everything turned out okay. Sometimes the happy ending works best. Several people were turned on by the idea of cities with personalities, and that spun off a fair bit of speculation. On the downside, a number of commenters thought the story's plot pacing was off, or that it just didn't grab them. Serana said, I normally enjoy everything that comes from the glorious goddess that is Myrrh, but this one left me rather cold. The idea of city talkers per se is interesting, but the characters didn't give me any reason to root for them, and the plot didn't hold my attention. The most interesting comment was that from Calvinist Interpreter, no kidding, that's what he signed as, who said, I can't help wondering how consciously Miss Lafferty included the theme of messianic sufferer in the shamanistic Christmas tale of Weal and Woe. And after some more symbolic analysis, he wraps up with, But maybe the real reason Charlotte hates Christmas is because it was settled by Scott's Covenanters, radical Presbyterians, who refused to celebrate that Roman Catholic holiday. That's a good point, Calvinist interpreter. I don't know why I didn't think of that. Our other Christmas story, which ran Christmas Day, was Greg Van Eekhout's In the Late December, which Nora best characterized as Santa Claus versus the Heat Death of the Universe. No one had a bad thing to say about the storytelling in this piece. In fact, there were several calls of More Greg. Rain gave it a favorite escape pod ever vote, saying more than any other story, this felt like pure science fiction. The biggest schism was whether the story was upbeat or downbeat. Quint said, Behind Asimov's The Last Question, this was the most optimistic version I've heard of the end of everything. Followed soon by Jelly's Really well written, but sheesh, that has to be the saddest Christmas story I've ever heard. So, optimistic or pessimistic? There's no consensus. Sounds like the holidays to me. Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. You can share it all you want, forward or backward in time, so long as you don't change it or try to make a profit from it. If you like what you're hearing, we hope you'll tell a friend or blog about us, or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site, escapepod.org. 
You can also check out our horror podcast, Pseudopod, at pseudopod.org, and buy collectible CDs and DVDs at poddisc.com. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju at daikaiju.org. Oh, some other feedback we had from in the late December was more Jonathan Colton. So, why not? For once, this song has essentially nothing to do with the story, but it works for me lately. Our closing song is Better by Jonathan Colton, whose work you can find at jonathancolton.com. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation comes once again from Albert Einstein, who said, Science is a wonderful thing if one does not have to earn one's living at it. We'll see you next week. Have fun. Where did we go? When was the moment that we broke into? I think I know. In fact, I am sure I can blame it on you. I remember the first big surprise. The day you came home with your infrared eyes. I looked inside them, but all I could see were tiny reflections of me. But it's not me, it's you What you're turning into Is some kind of something that I never knew You used to be okay and I like you that way But I don't think that I like you better No, I don't think that I like you better Started out small and some wings and a few extra thumbs Now you're 13 feet tall Even when you're asleep your machinery hums And I'm tired of the evenings I spend Making small talk with your new robot friends And their stupid insistence on scanning my iris They know damn well who I am And you look like a victim of a surgical crime Dark Vader, a little Optimus Prime You used to be okay And I liked you that way But I don't think that I like you better No, I don't think that I like you better how it goes Snap your mandibles once to say you understand Now hold me close Wait, now that's too close You're crushing my hand I can tell by that shrieking alarm Your weapon systems are active and armed Do me a favor Power them down Just so we don't have a scene And I wish it was but we're just not the same At least we got someone We know we can blame You used to be okay And I 